Hey, hey, hey. That's my impression of an ODB. What do you think, Sam? <laughs> oh, I think, he, I think he'd be flattered. <laughs> hey, you, you're back. Like a relaxed sort. He, he did seem like a very chill person. Um, you're back with the Beat Motel podcast. Incidentally, I'd like to do an episode on the Wu-Tang American Saga thing, but you haven't seen it yet, have you? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, but I don't mind. I don't mind a few spoilers because, I mean, frankly, trying to get my partner to be open to some of these things is a bit, of a, bit too much of a challenge. So, yeah, I, I kind of watched it when in like dead time when there was nothing else that anyone else in the family wanted to watch, and I, I had to shut the door when it was on because the the language. I mean, I, <laughs> I live in I live in the ghetto in Ipswich. And the language was spicy to the extent that I didn't want my teenage daughter to hear it because it's, <laughs> it's probably the most full-on thing and there's words which I won't utter that are used frequently in it. But anyway, let's move on. The, today's theme, now it started off as the 10 or however many best light shows and it's kind of evolved into the best stage shows. This came about because of one of the most recent Beat Motel podcast episodes was a review of Arrival Consoles and Heinbach gigs I went to. And one of the things that really amazed me is just how good the stage show was for something so simple. But I've got Rival Consoles as one of my picks. I'm not going to talk about that too much. We're going to start off, before we get onto the whole stage show, light show thing, with Riffs of the Week. And we have two Riffs of the Week this week. So I'm going to start with my rip of the week. Are you ready, Sam? Yes, go for it. <laughs> Are your loins girded and, and all that oh, stuff? I've, I've, I've lubed up. <laughs> it's a bit right, sweaty. Here, go. here goes. Here's my rip of the week. So, can you guess who that was, Sam? I can hear a lot of different things in it. I can see, well, I'm going to say it's British. Uh, Carry on. I would say it sort of got something of a Franz Ferdinand post-punk thing to it, but it's certainly not Franz Ferdinand. Uh, and uh, then a nice blur chorus. I was. Um, it is a blur chorus, and I deliberately left left in the blur chorus when i when i clipped this uh for anyone who hasn't listened to the beat motel podcast before we can only use 30 seconds of any any track um otherwise we get done in by prs and licensing and stuff but you know i deliberately left the i wanted a bit of the chorus in so you'd hear that and see if it harked back to our blur episode which we did a few weeks ago uh and nice like it sort of does the franz ferdinand but then it sort of the second or third time round they Oh, I can't remember how many. As far as someone listened to it, so I don't know. But the the guitarist starts to choose some interesting notes in his guitar, which sounds great. What is it? What is it? It's a uh, Queens of the Stone Age. Ah, oh, fuck, really? <laughs> so yeah, ca- Californian desert rock isn't so not very British. But I maintain that ever since Josh Homme produced an Arctic Monkeys album, 
he's had some of the swagger of the Arctic Monkeys, the very British, very sort of Liverpool thing. And he said he said as much when he produced one of their out the Arctic Monkeys albums. He said he wanted to do it because they had a level of swagger that he would never ever be able to reach. And I think he's been trying to ever since. And that. Um... I'm, I, I hate the Queens of the Stone Age, partly because they're so popular. That's why I was surprised. <laughs> uh, I've never really listened to them, but fuck, you can really... I mean, I, I associate them with that sort of driving, very American, American um, fuzzed out, yeah, stuff. I haven't really listened to any of their stuff. And then, yeah, that, that sounds like, wow, that's, that's a great sort of art rock band uh thing to it there's no there's no california desert left anymore really no not not at all they've they've been a lot more that way for quite a long time and there's riffs and tracks in some of the the last couple of albums where i'm almost sure the guitars aren't actually tuned you know completely out of tune guitars which some of that track we might just heard which uh by the way it's called emotion sickness um, I think there might be some of that there. And I, I like that as a challenging way of making it's still pop music, but it's just so sort of greasy and <laughs> sort of yeah. filthy and dirty and swaggering around. I, I, I thought that was that's a pretty it's, a pretty nice riff. Yeah, but it's it's got sort of the roundness of like say a Foo Fighters production to it. But it just it doesn't have like perhaps a sharpness you would expect with the English style thing but it's certainly yeah surprising great well done i think it's fuck you more <laughs> i think it's more more english influence than anything else they've done the videos and all the imagery around this album is kind of um like the craze and teddy boys and stuff which is really unusual for an american band to even know what that kind of thing is you know, you can see mods and whatever pop up in American things because Quadrophenia and The Who and whatever were so massive. But the whole Teddy Boy rock and roller thing, that's just not something I would have thought would translate across the ocean. No, but, you know, a few years... I remember the point where I got really turned off Rancid is when they started hanging out with what they thought was cool London gangsters. And uh, you just think... Uh, obviously, I would never say that to any of their face because I'm a uh, like small man, and they won't. Obviously, <laughs> avid, avid listeners, avid listeners. Um, but but you know, it's like music. It's just like stop fucking posing so much to mm. the point where you're absolute bellends. Right. Let's have your <laughs> let's have your track, which I can't actually find. <gasps> Private function. Why can't I see that? I'll tell you what, we'll have to see if I can import it into the uh, episode on the fly. Oh my god, this is tense. This is tense stuff. Private function. I'm oh, sorry, I've given away who it is now, haven't I? But then I can see it anyway. Yeah. All right. Guess, so... guess who this is, Andrew. <laughs>
So that was private function. We don't want to go out on the weekend. What, what's your reason for picking that? I've got some things to say, but I want to hear your your. Oh, input. man, you know, there's I, I read a, uh, I, I sort of forced my through myself through a, a book by this um, American music journalist called Alex Ross, uh, "The Rest Is Noise," um, and it's great. Like what I could understand, it's great in part. Um, but he had a quote from I think it was Stockhausen, one of those sort of big or Shostakovich, one of those big big avant-garde composers of the 20th century who apparently gave a lecture and said. Um, there's a lot of great music still to be left in C major, which is like the easiest. It's all the white notes uh, on a on a on a keyboard uh, on a piano, essentially. So it's the simplest key to compose in. He says he said something along the lines of, um, "There's a lot of great music to be still to be composed in C major. I just don't know what it is." Um, and w- when I hear that private, uh, is that like? That music has been been going on since sort of the it's it's nineties Americanized. They're Australian band, but it's a sort of nineties pop punk sort of uh, screeching weasels, the queers, teenage bottle rockets, um, heavy Ramones influence, and I don't know. There's such joy in it, and I love the. The anti-socialness of the lyrics. I like the, um, and I like. So I normally hate it when they 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 pair the vocal harmony with the lead guitar line, but it works, and it's sort of so sort of joyously done, um, and it's it, a great little riff. It is. It, it's very accessible. I like the fact that it sounds like when they were writing the song, they had a band meeting, said, we should have a verse here. And they went, no, let's have a chorus here. And they <laughs> said, okay, well, after the verse and before the chorus, we ought to have a bridge or a middle eight. No, no, let's just have another chorus. Okay, well, what do we do after that? Well, let's have a chorus. It's essentially three choruses in a row, which yeah, I, yeah. I kind of like. I, I think... And then, you know, to add some detail to it, they just started, they get like a keyboard out at one point, like a Moog sort of mm. fuzzy noise thing that's just playing the lead alongside the guitar and it's just mixed together and it's just sort of like this is great let's play it and then they just end some in a different way and then the end of the chorus that like nice bit uh i can't remember what it's referencing but it's some, i think it's like a Beatles sort of thing that they used to do um where they sort of harmonise a little bit with the ending of the the ringing out guitar chord, mm. it's just it's just a joyous little piece of music. Um, there's still a lot of great pop punk to be written. I just don't can't write it. <laughs> well, me neither. But it, it's joyous music. I think there, there's a lot of joy in very complex music. But I I really like kind of bands like well, the aforementioned pop punk bands because you just put it on, slam it out. Out you come. There you go. You, you know what you're getting. And the idea that all music has to be pushing the envelope or, or, or reaching new brave territory, I don't think... I think that kind of music just disproves that. You can just be very good at doing something very specific. That's how a lot of metal bands exist. I, I think that uh, there's this aspect of... Um... Yeah, I mean, I never really understood. I know I hate prog rock. Um, let that be no secret. And I think one of the reasons I hate prog rock is because it's this idea of being progressive through complexity rather than progressive through interesting ideas. And one of the things I always found most attractive about um, 
sort of the what I take as their initial sort of artistic idea behind the original sort of punk, punk rock movement is that it doesn't matter how you know how you, it doesn't matter if you can play it matters what your ideas are mm. and through that you get these this explosion of creativity in like Adam Ant and Susie and the Banshees and Bauhaus and I'm, I'm trying not to name any of these sort of obvious bands because and and the slits lest we forget the slits were one of the greatest punk albums ever um and you have this explosion of people who really i mean the slits genius in the first album the genius was to get uh the banshees drummer who could really play because the rest of them couldn't and he just holds this chaos together um, but they also wrote pop songs at the end of the day. They didn't just, you know, they were. It's this completely different idea of what pop could have been, um, with a really weird artistic aspect to it. And I think, you know, that's something that a lot of metal, tech metal, particularly tech death metal, sort of forgets. And um, it's just like. And this is one of the reasons why people keep going back to things like Metallica. So they write choruses, they write songs that are identifiable as songs, and they write choruses that everybody can shout along to. And it's just like give something. There's no, there's nothing wrong with giving people a little bit of something to cling on to when you're making your abstract weird shit. I think do a load of weird stuff, have a big sing along chorus, do weird stuff. Yeah, I like <laughs> there that. You go. What what bands? Are, I, I want to find a band now that do, does just that. I like it. I, it happens more in metal where you just get like a sudden little riff that just comes in once. And you kind of go, oh, well done. But as much as I like bands like Emperor, you're like just chill for a bit. Just, <laughs> just let just let the riff come out. Oh, there was a riff there. No, just leave it. Just let it yeah, let it ride yeah. out for a few minutes. Well, so it's a bit f- too much of a tease. One of my favorite things was like uh, when I was in 2006, I got into this band called Satellite Carnage. I must have played the the Death Will Be the Dying to Me. The Death Death will, uh, Dying Will Be the Death of Me. This song that sort of was supposed to be taking piss out metalcore, and it was um, they have this amazing chorus to it, and they do it twice in this sort of four minute song, but it's just like. These uber complex rhythms that playing along with, they're pulling and pushing rhythms. The riffs are complex as hell, and then all of a sudden you have this like power metal vocal with a growl underneath it, um, doing the same thing, and it sounds so amazing. It is one of the greatest metal choruses ever because it is this sort of your brain going, "Give me something to attach to. Can I just have something?" But then it just gives you this joyous big thing. It's I love it. I love that song. I can't. That's my favorite album of theirs the rest of it is complex as hell and you know they do memorable riffs but oh that song is just it's that that release isn't it yeah a a lot of really good music just needs that release and if you like that sort of tension and release thing sam you might like prog (laughs) (laughs) anyway let's move on so you sam's pick first so these are say it started off as what's the best light show you've seen and it's become what I think what gigs did you walk away from and just go, wow, but not based just on the music? I think bands are good <laughs> live generally. In fact, I don't think I've seen a, a bad band outside of a pub for many, many years. So I'm going to play your first pick, Sam, and then I'm going to let you describe it. I've decided that when we do this, it works much, much better to play the track first because that way 
as we've just proven with Queens of the Stone Age, your own preconceptions about what it's going to be just don't matter at all. So I'm going to play your first pick, Sam, and here we go. That is absolutely what in this household is called the forbidden music. It's the kind of music that I put it on and either my wife or my daughter will just go, no, <laughs> just hear them from another room. No, not even like, oh, could you turn it down a bit? Or you've accidentally uh, left the speakers on in this room. I've cabled up the whole house. Just no. <laughs> so do you want to tell us who it was? Or you can tell us why you chose it as your one of your most memorable stage appearances. Uh, it's Square Pusher. Um... Uh, the song is called An Arched Pathway. Part, I chose it partly because um, it's from, uh, I can't remember what the album's called uh, or accurately called. Uh, but he apparently, uh, he's a bassist and he you can really hear the jazz fusion influence in his playing. It is drum and, a lot of his stuff is sort of drum and bass by way of jazz fusion. Um and it is called Ultra Visitor. Uh, I'm glad I looked that up because I was about to say something ultra, something else. Um, and I saw them, I saw him, uh, them, I saw him playing solo uh, with a load of, basically a load of effects, bass guitar solo, and a load of lights. And they were playing the first... Um, ATP All Tomorrow's Parties Festival I went to, which was curated right. by the Melvins and Mike Patton. And my friend Andy was really into Square Push. He said, we got to go, we got to go. I mean, I wasn't like, I hadn't heard anything. And I still don't like the records that much. But the light show was incredible. And then you just have, you know, this person playing a bass solo over beats that are somehow as I understand it, reacting to what he is playing as well. And so he's, it's sort of this really complex, uh, algorithmic, somehow sort of math, prog, jazz, drum and bass thing going on. And you have this black and white light show going on at the same time. And it's, it was just sort of like, ah, I, I, I've never heard the album's, to the point that I really got into them, but that live show was second to none, and it really, you know, stayed with me afterwards. It's amazing how how many of the the, the acts I was were going to pick were from ATP festivals. So ATP the listeners was a run of festivals called All Tomorrow's Parties or ATP for short that had always had the best PA equipment, always had the best lighting rigs. And they had the best bands and never made any money and went bust about five times. In fact, we were, were you, we were there together, weren't we, at Prestatin? The last uh, one, Stuart Lee one? Yes, we were. That was heartbreaking. That was they sort went of bust like during the festival. <laughs> yeah. And then you had Rocky Erickson's, Ricky Erickson's, Rocky Erickson's son at one point telling everybody not to go 
to see something because his dad hadn't been paid and therefore wasn't going to play. And so he, we didn't go. Yeah, but then he turned out to fucking play. Yeah, that was and such that, a weird fest. Go on. Yeah, and that that festival was sort of heartbreaking uh, because it sort of felt like such... It's like going to see an old friend who, you know, just couldn't stop drinking that little bit too much every night. And, and you know, kept that- making... Choices. You just went. You're doing. You, you make some really awful choices with your life. Stop doing that. Come back. Sit down. Calm down. And <laughs> sit gets. down. Calm down. ATP. It got <laughs> to the stage. Our lack of faith in the organisation, and we were there, say, at the bloody miserable end of it. Our, our lack of faith in any of their communications was so so bad that one night they announced at like a short notice, two o'clock in the morning. In this venue, because they're always at Pontins or Butlin, so like holiday camps, um, is going to be Charlotte Church's Sex Dungeon. And we kind of went, oh, really? Uh-huh. And just went to bed. Found out the next morning, yeah, Charlotte Church, who Prestatton's in Wales, uh, Charlotte Church is Welsh. Charlotte Church turned up and did a metal and rock covers set for two hours, which apparently was absolutely amazing. But we just didn't believe them. That The other stuff that HTP did to us, we went to the Godspeed You Black Emperor ATP, and we missed one of the Godspeed You Black Emperor performances because we walked into the main hall at about half 11, 12, and there were big posters up saying Godspeed have decided to play at 10 a.m. And it was like, you bastards. I think I was at the swimming pool. I <laughs> just completely missed it. And like ATP, they were almost deliberately incompetent, just in really weird ways. Like, why would you do that? Why would you put on the band 10 hours early when everyone's asleep? And it was always there we'll was always to do an teams. ATP episode. I've just decided. Yeah, I love the ATP. That's such a good part of like pre marriage life of going off for a weekend and just doing really just drinking too much and seeing a, an array of amazing bands one after the other. Um, it was such. They were such fun, but. It was diminishing returns after, you know, after the first two, three ones that you went to, it just started being diminishing returns, uh, frankly. Okay, I've made a note of that because otherwise we'll just, we'll go off on on a whole section just talking about ATP. So we'll do an ATP episode. Okay, so next I'm going to play my first choice for the, the act I saw that I went, oh mercy me. Here we go. So that was... Do you want to have a guess who that was? I'm going to say post-rock band. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a fairly safe That's a fairly safe guess. That's Mogwai uh, um, oh, yeah. playing a, a song called Glasgow Mega Snake. I chose this because I went to the first Latitude Festival with my, my wife and my, uh, one of my friends. And the first Latitude Festival, um, it's now become a prawn and avocado toast type festival but the first one it's like they'd forgotten to tell anyone that the festival was happening it, it was sold out but there was only about five thousand people there it's tiny and it's run by the same people who used to run reading festival so we turned up and there wasn't many people there there were no really big bands but mogwai were headlining in a tent 
and we're a bit knackered by that point at the festival and mogwai were playing their kind of tinkly nice guitars and it wasn't massively loud so we ended up just laying down at the back and it was quite dark in the tent and people were just sort of chatting it was so quiet you could hear people talking to each other over the band and when that song kicked in the loud bit of it the volume suddenly shot up to 11 and all the lights on the stage came on and it's really hard to describe but laying there just kind of hearing just tinkly gentle stuff and then suddenly like bang really really loud absolutely scared the shit out of us but (laughs) in a really good way and a few weeks later i was at reading festival with um i bumped into a mutual friend of our sam uh, bento brento sorry bento's a type of lunch isn't it um dave brent um not the Dave Brent from The Office. God, this is getting confusing. Anyway, I bumped into him and he said, oh, what did you think of Mogwai at Latitude? And I said, yeah, yeah, absolutely astonishing. And he said, the sound was shit, wasn't it? And I was like, no, we thought the sound was good. He goes, no, it wasn't. The sound was shit. And this guy stood next to him, just started staring at him. And I just said, Dave, I'm guessing your friend there is Mogwai sound engineer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. So I asked him, I said, did you play quiet and then whack the volume up? And he said, yeah, on the fader, they're on sort of one and a half, two for about the first two or three tracks that they played. And then when that loud bit came in, they just basically flicked the faders up to full. (laughs) And I've never known another band do that because, holy shit, the effect was phenomenal. Then they were then up at that level for the whole rest of the set. But that's my reason for including that. Just for what I think of is, is actually quite a brave, inventive use of the PA. It, it's PA usage has become very, very uh, homogenized and safe, I think. So, so hearing something like that was brilliant, albeit however many years ago it was. <laughs> it's uh, I've seen Mogwai a few times, and I just it like post rock is there with prog rock with me for me. So I'm not <laughs> going to say anything. <laughs> if you can't say anything nice. Uh, Actually, no, that doesn't work for a podcast, does it? You can say as many unpleasant <laughs> things as you want. Right, let's move on to your next bit of chamber music. Here we go. Here's the first line of the motherfucking song. Jason oh, Donovan's nice. had a brave new change of direction, hasn't he? <laughs> it's a good, good cut. <laughs> <laughs> on, yeah, I was quite pleased to that. Go on then, Sam, who's that? Uh, Guar! Do you know what? I was really surprised at how much I enjoyed that. I remember hearing Guar when I was at high school and going, oh, this metal's so stupid. Yeah. But I think there's some riffs in there. Yeah, they might not be inventive. Yeah, they might not be changing the face of music, but they're really good riffs. I uh, saw Gwar just in 2009 before my child was born and it was something I couldn't convince anybody else to go to and it was magnificent. They are <laughs> uh, they are the metal answer to Parliament. Um, and oh, wow. I totally get Do you know that. That makes so much sense to me. I, I, I really get that. There is the costumes and props just and... Yeah, and this massive stupid party going on on stage, and Gwar, and it's just like 
the people who go to see it are so up for it as well. It's not, you don't get like this, this is in London, you don't get these people standing at the back so much going, oh God, what's this going to be Chin like? Chin strokers. Yeah, and it's more like, no, this, everybody's here for the same reason. And it's, and they do, they have produced some surprisingly good songs. And I was thinking about getting some of those, like one, I've got, I've got three, I've got two other albums really. Uh, and they're the classics. So, um, What's it called? Uh, my memory for album names is terrible. Um, there's two classics, or not they have more than two classics, but they're sort of the classics classics are Scum Dogs of the Universe and America Must Be Destroyed, and they're sort of like crossover thrash skate sort of stuff. And there's a large dense of a sort of a bent of humor in it. Um, and they they lost their singer, um. Uh, what was, what was he called? Odorous. He was called, yeah, Odorous Urungus. And then they lost their singer and they, they sort of, you know, they could have called it a day, but that didn't really make sense for a band that is themed upon extra, extraterrestrial sort of, you know, scum dogs. Um, so they got in their old bassist and he is this, he's really sort of bought out Rather than sort of the seediness to it, he's brought out sort of the uh, the silliness of it, and it. I don't know. It just as a live show, you can't fault it. It is you're being splattered with fake blood and fake spunk, and you have these people on stage who are all wearing these ridiculous prosthetics. The musicianship is actually like you got to. Those guys are playing for an hour plus. They're playing in those for an hour in costumes, yeah, yeah, and the and, you know, and the drummer especially, like uh, they're just you got to ha- give your hats off. Yeah, take, I take my hats off for them. Great musicians, um, and good and great songs. Some great songs, and then the live show is just the most ridiculous thing uh, in the world. And it was it was just so sort of fantastic um, as a sort of I'd, experience. I'd go. I think some bands. I'd go if there was the opportunity just because, you know, just to see the stage show. I think Bruce Springsteen falls into that for me. I'm not sure I could last the whole three and a half hours that he does, but it's supposed to be very, very good live. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. I, was, I went to see, um, I went 2006 again, I went to see with a friend. We we managed to get these five pound tickets to see Metallica at the, uh, what's it called? The, um, uh, the O2 uh, down in. Uh, Oh, the Millennium Dome. in London. And we had these tickets up in the gods, and every time they played it, you know, it's like everybody sort of pisses on bad albums and bands playing their bad, their sort of secondary material live. But if they're that big, you know what? And they're going to play for that long, it gives you an excuse to get up, go to the loo, <laughs> go get a drink, you know, chill out a bit, and then come back for something you actually really want to see. So you don't get, like, tired. It's like... If, if you're we, basically my advice is that if you are uh, a really big band, put out a shit album because everybody's relieved by those moments in the set where they can just relax a bit. Metallica piss breaks. Metallica piss breaks. <laughs> That's fantastic. Right, the next track. Oh man, it was really hard to choose something, but here we go. And incidentally, there's not as much of a pause now because I've realised I can press record on the uh, the sound capture thing and then press play on my keyboards, so there's not such a gap. Here we go. 
I mean, that is completely at randomly chosen that. It's Fuck Buttons with a song called uh, Brain Freeze. I really struggled to find a clip that I that would mean anything to me because if I'm really honest, I haven't really listened to them much since I saw them live. But it was this is another pick from ATP. This was an All Tomorrow's Parties Festival. And we'd driven from Ipswich to Minehead, and it took about nine or ten hours because there was blizzards and heavy snow. And it was such an arduous journey. I was really uncomfortable by the time I got there. I can't remember if you were in the car with me or not, but it was it was tough going, whatever it was. So when we got there, when you went up to the main arena at ATP, there, <laughs> there were people giving massages. And you sat down on a little stool and somebody would give you a massage. And I was so knackered and so tense. I was like, hey, okay, cool, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll go for a massage. And I sat there having my head massaged and my shoulders massaged as fuck buttons came on. And it was really nice and relaxing and, and you know, it was a good massage and all that. And as the fuck button set wound up in intensity, some of the lighting on the stage went down and instead all the lights in the whole arena became part of their stage show. Every, like the little lights where the steps were that you know, stop you from tripping up, the lights behind the bars, all the, this is the cabaret lounge at Minehead in, in Somerset. So there's a lot of lights everywhere. And the whole room just became an extension of their performance. It was absolutely incredible. And many years later, I, I met a guy called Declan, who was Fuck Button's manager at the time. He, he lives here in Ipswich now. And I asked him, I said, how did you do that? Because it was such an incredible spectacle. And he said, oh, no, it's nothing to do with us. It was a complete surprise. It was just some a minehead, uh, sorry, a Butlins member of staff just took it upon themselves to do it. And he, they don't even know how he did it. They, they didn't even know it was a function that you could get. But in that moment, it was absolutely unbelievable. It wasn't just because I was getting a massage. It was, <laughs> it was just all enveloping, you know, just, just all consuming. Do you remember that? I don't. I, I know I've seen Fuck Buttons a few times, and I never really listened to them deeply. And that sort of made me go, "Wow, this is like this is like eighties. It's eighties music, but everything's turned up to eleven. Yeah, it's, it's like a good wall of noise from the eighties mm-hmm. uh, on, on like sounds. Um, they no, I seriously, I, I they're one of those bands I just never really got. I guess I didn't have that those moment that moment with them. Um, I guess I just never really had that yeah that moment with them where they sort of clicked. I can't remember that state. I may not. I may you know I I can be a grumpy fuck. So I may have just went. I've seen them a few times. They're nothing. I'm not going to go and see them. I don't get why ATP keeps putting them on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, again, I could go off on a on a on a tangent about ATP, but we'll save that for another time. Sam is waving his finger around, signifying that he possibly needs to go for a wee. No, you so, keep going. Um, I'm, I'm actually just going to go and get some water. Oh, okay. Well, I, I will do the uh, podcast equivalent of a poor Metallica song while Sam is gone. So if you're listening and you need a wee, go for it. Um, but incidentally, if you've got ear pods or those kind of ear, earbuds that just stick in your ear, I don't recommend leaving them in when you stood over a toilet or sat in the toilet having a wee. Because if they go in, you might not want them back. Hey, Sam has returned. You've right, you've returned in time for your next choice, which I've got to say was one that surprised me. So here we go with it. My eyes are small, and your eyes are close. 
Another day, another emotion. Playing a game, he called me a fag. I said, Don't be an ignorant fool. You must be gay, you prejudice rules. Screw this, I'm leaving. And I don't need a racist friend, and I'm not like you. And I'm from Korea, my eyes are small. You- that, that choice really surprised me. Go and come. Tell, tell us all about it. Well, this is Mike Park. He is uh, known from the band Shankin Pickles and the Chinkies, the Bruce Lee Band, uh, and a few others. Asian Man Records. He is the he is Asian Man Records. He is Asian Man. Runs Records, it yeah. out of his mum's garage or something <laughs> like that. Um, and he uh, he he played. He played Brighton. Uh, this is down in Brighton. This is Concord too. He played this all day, and I think it was an all day he played. Um, but he had sort of this really simple setup with him. He had a him his, his acoustic guitar, um, and he had a projector, and he had a screen, and he was sort of playing these songs. Um, and there was a nostalgic, really American nostalgic to it. But he started playing this, these, that's you know, these songs. I'm not particularly sure which songs he was playing, but he certainly played that one. Um, and there was something about the simplicity of it, and about sort of the that just really took me in that moment. And I found myself at the end of his set crying. Um, and it was just, I was just really, really moved by his his performance um and it was very powerful and it you know like you don't need endless pyrotechnics to be powerful all the time and so i, w- I wanted that contrast I, you know i replaced this the other day because i was going to put alice cooper but alice cooper and gore are basically the same thing at mm-hmm. different you know they're, they're set they're part of the same spectrum essentially and part of the same end of the spectrum and um Mike Park had this completely different aspect to it, and it was one of the most most moving sort of performances I've seen. Uh, and it was really sort of simple and powerful. And I've never listened to the stuff, frankly. Uh, it's not my sort of thing, but that song is a great song. But um, yeah, it just really moved me. It's, it's, I'm just putting down a note that it would be good to do an, uh, an episode on bands that don't translate from live to record. Um, so I'm just making note of that out to Yeah, it's, it, it's a, I'm really pleased you made that choice because it would almost be a bit on the nose and a bit obvious just to choose the big pyrotechnic, big flashing lights. Because I saw, I saw Barbara Luck, um, bassist of King Prawn, do his acoustic thing in a tiny little room, a capacity of about 40 here in Ipswich. And again, it was a very moving, very emotive thing. I think he was crying as well, actually. Yeah. It was to speak to the man. He is, he is like a bouncy ball trapped in a barrel. He's just <laughs> so such a big character and so enthusiastic and so incredibly positive about absolutely everything. It seems to go, go all quiet and sing. I mean, Listeners, both Sam and I, I think, are naturally adverse to songs with acoustic guitars about feelings. It's not it's not really sort of where we're at with a lot of the music. And I think it's possibly because of that that you can get caught off guard. And that's a wonderful thing. And it, it's proof as to why 
it's a very good idea to go to bands and go to gigs that you wouldn't necessarily choose to go to because you'll get caught out. And even if you only get caught out once in every 10 gigs, I think that's worth it. I think that, I, that's what makes it cool. I also have a thing of like, take chances. If you've heard the name of a band and you can afford to go to the gig and you have nothing to do that evening, go to it. Because again, you might just be caught by surprise. And you, if you always listen to what you're going to get, you ruin that ability to be surprised and to listen with open ears. And, you know, you have these, if you go to these gigs with well-known bands and people are always listening out for the things they know rather than actually Mm. being open to those moments where, wow, that was a great thing. What was that from? I agree entirely. Uh, And and speaking as a musician who performs regularly, please just come to gigs, (laughs) just go to gigs. But you've hit something that is one of my grumpy old man things is that, People are apparently less willing to go to gigs if they don't know the hits. And there's so much goodness out there. There's well, so many so many good good bits of music that take you by surprise. Well, it's interesting. The, the era of, uh, Finland's been in the news uh, in the last few weeks because of their Eurovision entry, the guy called something along the lines of Karia. He and was wrong. He, he, yes, he was. Um, and... <laughs> My mother-in-law apparently got quite drunk the other night at the party and her and her friends were dancing, all dancing and singing along to it. <laughs> it was a good uh, song. Sorry, sorry, it's been in the it's been in the press, you're saying. But um, you know, he, he played a gig, a big uh, gig in um the ice hockey arena here, which is a very is sort of like the biggest indoor stadium as uh, gig that you can do. <clears throat> and he was just wondering, like what else is he gonna? You know, what else is he gonna fill up like a forty-five minute set with? And oh, he's actually put out three albums, but they're much more sort of straightforward hip hop. Mm. But it was sort of like, I hope people, I hope the people went to it, and they, he didn't just have to play cha uh, or cha 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 like four or five <laughs> times to please people. There are some bands that do do that, and uh, do you know who Chesney Hawks is? He yes. was the it was the son of one of the tremolos, a British sixties, uh, you know, beat, beat gen, a uh, beat pop band kind of thing, and he had a massive hit with "I Am the One and Only." And somebody only went to go and see him, and he played it first. Basically, I've just got to get that out of the way, and then played like <laughs> new album. I just thought, God, how many people wandered off after that? <laughs> just like it must be a difficult position, and it's not, you know, my uh, musical career has been untroubled by success and uh, yeah. the the need to to meet the demands of my fans. It raises the question, you know, if you're in that position, what do you play? Do you play it first or do you play it last? There was another band, I can't remember who it was, and they, they, they had a big hit song. It might have been Wheatus. And they played here in Ipswich, and they just did Teenage Dirtbag about six times. There were <laughs> other songs as well. They just kept on playing it. I, I, I apologise to Wheatus if it wasn't them, because I'm sure they're listening and getting angry. But, yeah, right. <laughs> right, sure so good choice, Wheatus Sam. with Buddy Holly. Oh no, I wouldn't expect Weezer to do that. You're 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 more of a Weezer fan than what? Well, I just haven't been exposed to enough Weezer. I don't think. We should do right. a Weezer episode. No, uh, no I'd like to do episodes. Episode. Oh, okay. Here we go. Here's here's the next track.
So that's a Howl by Rival Consoles. And Rival Consoles is the act uh, or the artist who kind of set this whole thing off. It's really difficult to pick 30 seconds that, that does justice to kind of the light and shade and the build-up and the, the interestingness of seeing uh, Rival Consoles live or even listening to the records. But live, I saw him, I think his name's Ryan, at the Barbican Centre in London a couple of weeks ago. And there's a review of it on, on in an earlier episode. And I was astonished that a massive seated venue, which I wouldn't ever expect to be a good place to see a band, was pretty much perfect. For one thing, I'm old enough that I don't mind sitting down for for a while. Um, but the sound of, of the room was perfect. And so was the light show. And it wasn't it wasn't frenetic stroby millions of lights it was very dark but just very well choreographed light show it's mostly just long beams but just nicely sort of slicing the room up unfortunately because i was in one of the higher balconies i had to look away each time i saw one of the lights coming around otherwise it was going to burn my retinas out <laughs> but i just want to play that little bit because it's, it's just bloody impossible to find a bit that actually justifies you know gives gives you an example of how good it was live but that was rival consoles with how do you think because looking at the list of uh, that we've done we've got we haven't actually got a lot of pop acts in we we you know we listen to a fair amount of things that have catchy choruses and stuff do you think there is something about these acts that don't wrap around them wrap, for the most part don't wrap themselves around a catchy chorus where they make it they try to make it more interesting to give something else you know, uh, when you go and see them, particularly it's, it's an entirely fair point. Um, a lot of electronica is man stood behind desk. And in my own musical life, I've tried to give something a bit more. I, I developed a system with, with a couple of friends that uses a couple of tiny little computers called Arduinos, you know, a bit like a Raspberry Pis. And these huge long strings of LED, LED lights that I could program using MIDI. And it was a lot of work and it did look quite cool, but it still didn't detract from <laughs> me, the fact it was me stood behind a desk with a laptop. And you're in danger with a lot of electro electronica of looking like you're doing your emails. So there, there's a big movement in electronica away from computers. They call it doorless. Okay, doorless. Oh. That reminded me of we we saw at that last ATP we did see Sleaford Mods, mm -hmm. who I did enjoy in part. Uh, yeah. I never really got into them that much, uh, but I did enjoy in part. But there was a weird aspect where it was um, it really was a guy doing a lot of the work, which is the 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 singer. I can't no idea what his Jason. name is Jason uh, and his mate Dave Andrew. Andrew, uh, Andrew, who just seemed to be pressing play. And he then... makes a big thing out of just pressing play. Then he stands back and drinks beer, essentially. <laughs> and it's kind of part, part of the act, as it were. But what surprised me about that, they say we were both there as the Stuart Lee ATV, is that it was still a very engaging show. It wasn't the guy pressing play, because that is all he's doing. It was the singer doing... I don't know. He didn't even move around a lot either, but it was just such an intensity to it. Such a, it was fucking angry. It really yeah, was. I was surprised was, how, how intense it was. There was a John Lydonness to him. Mm. 
Sorry, John yeah, and Russell. Um, but pre butter days. Well, pre, it was. I'd say it's a lot more intelligent. I think the, the original Johnny Rotten thing, the, the being deliberately antagonistic, that gets old pretty quick. Um, I don't know if Johnny Rotten isn't is deliberately antagonistic. I think he is just unintentionally just wants to fuck everybody off <laughs> at some points, and he's glorious at it. But it's you know. I don't know. There's a point where these older punks like Morrissey and uh, John Lydon just there's a point where you just start saying deliberately stupid things. Though I mean, oh, is I that don't what Morrissey's they're... doing? <sighs> well, he's just. I don't know if he's he's being antagonistic, but he's just being old cunt. Um, <laughs> excuse my French. And he's so and you know sort of this. I think it's sort of this. They forgot what they, how they did it when they were being intelligent about it. So I John, think, I think they fluked it and they're trying to recapture it. If I'm being uh, unkind, no, I can see that as well. I want to be kind and think. I think Johnny John Lydon particularly is very very intelligent. I'm not sure about Morrissey, but I think Lydon is very intelligent. I think Morrissey believes he's very intelligent. Um, Lydon, I just don't Lydon think did... Lydon is 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 very kind to himself. That's an interesting perspective. He he did a spoken word tour in the UK a couple of years ago. It must have been just before COVID, and he he came to Ipswich actually and Bury St Edmunds. And the show he just sat down in a chair and spoke. And I think ego will only carry you so far for that kind of performance. You've got to actually be interesting, and you can't just do a, a one-man show and you know he's played in venues with thousand two thousand capacity you can't do that just relying on the nostalgic pound of people who love never mind the bollocks so there, there's got to be more to it that being said he hasn't done it since so <laughs> maybe it wasn't such a success right let's move on to your last choice come on where's the button there it is Every other clip that I prepared, that was the one that it hurt to make it that short. That's such a tease, just that little bit. It's like, come on, that's just... It's like having the first sip of tea and then someone just swiping the mug out of your hand, only hearing 30 seconds of that. Oh, they're, they're like... It is jazz in slow motion. Um, but... <laughs> jazz in... The title, saw... tell, tell us who it is, because the title of this, when I, when I looked it up so I could clip it for this, the title made me think it was going to be something very, very different. Well, they're signed to Ipecac, um, which is oh, wow. Mike Patton's. Well, they've done a few albums on Mike Patton's, uh, um, Mike Patton's label, Ipecac. But it's uh, Purin and the Club of Gore. And I'm, again, it's about, you know, like uh, a few of our choices, both of both sides, I've never really got into the albums of. Um, but... On the other side, 
There is, I want to see them at the Union Chapel, which is a, a venue in London that it used to be a chapel, uh, you know, it used to be a religious spot, and now is uh, a venue, and you still sit in the pews to see it. And it's, you know, that, and they had this sort of really moody lighting with it. And I don't know, it's one of those points you I just sort of remember feeling captivated by the entire thing. I took a chance, my friend wanted to see them, I took a chance, and um, it paid off spectacularly and very sort of profound uh, sort of experience live. What a you know amazing space to see uh, sort of basically a goth slow motion doom jazz band. God, goth slow motion doom band. Just if you if you were to text me and say, "Shall we go and see this goth slow motion doom jazz band?" I'd say. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that that's I really really like that, and I like anything that subverts the expectation of something without doing it in a really crass way. And I say, when I saw the Club of Gore, I was like, okay, what kind of weird grindcore is this going to be? <laughs> I was just, <laughs> it's yeah. just not, just no. not at all. That that that's wonderful, and it's on a I wouldn't call it a metal label, but they're verging towards that, aren't they? They're on the experimental side of um, heavy music. Hmm. But yeah, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't be surprised if I saw something like that at a metal festival. I was going to say <laughs> ATP, but I got to stop talking about ATP. Yeah, I mean, I, th- that's where I first saw them. I think at the a- the Melvins Mike Patton ATP. All and, right, and I I couldn't sort of make this. There was I was this sort of swung up between. Uh, this choice uh, was between Burren and the Club of Gore and Colin Stetson, who is a jazz saxophonist, a sort of jazz saxophonist, um, sort of post, I guess, post jazz saxophonist, um, who does these, which is, again, he played, I've seen him a few times, then he played a church. Last time I saw him, he played a church in England, and I decided I don't never want to see him again because I don't think it will ever come close to that setting. And there is something about people playing churches, uh, Mm. which you have done, which if you get the right sort of music, it just takes off a completely sort of euphoric experience to it. Completely different type of music. I saw The Sword play in Colchester Arts Centre, where I'm going tonight, actually, which is a, a deconsecrated church. And there's a huge stained glass window at the back of the stage, which normally has a curtain in front of it. And when the sword play there, they lit the window up. And just seeing a metal band playing in front of a stained glass just just was so cool. Just made yeah. total sense. Yeah. So I know what you mean. Like finding finding the setting that matches the music is is just a. I, I yeah, I get where you get where you're coming from. That especially you'd be scared of going again in case it ruined the first time you went. Yeah, and, and, and I think going to see that, that Colin Stetson gig that we went to see, it was me, my friend Al, and our friend Jen. And we went sort of, uh, because Jen wouldn't, hadn't seen him, and we were sort of went, oh, all right, yeah. And then we both went, "This is that was just astounding. And it's also, because he does this circular breathing thing, I've never seen someone play, and the audience, like, willingly not wanting him to do an encore, because... It, whilst it was amazing, you sort of fear that he's going to hurt himself. <laughs> so 
don't want a nice audience. <laughs> more, if it's okay, more. But take care of yourself. <laughs> Think about yourself first. Go and have a herbal tea. Come back, come right. back, and feel, see what you feel like. Right. I've got for the final choice. We've got the complete opposite of that. Um, I'm going to have to explain what this is before I play it, otherwise it won't make any sense. There's somebody or two brothers local to us here in Ipswich. There's Ryan Jordan and Luke Jordan. And it would be closer to call them performance artists, especially Luke Jordan. But I'm going to talk about his brother Ryan, who has been around the Ipswich scene for a long time. He plays all around the, well, certainly all around Europe. And he was doing, a, he had studying a PhD in noise electronica in Hong Kong. And he's he's a larger than life character who is problematic in some ways as a person. <laughs> the world needs people like him, and I don't want to delve too deeply into that. But the performance I've nicked a bit of clip from is from a, a gig that I did. A, I made a short film about that was in the venue called the Steamboat here in Ipswich, and Ryan Jordan's performance. He was running the night that night, and instead of using a PA, he hired these local guys. They've got a, like a West Indian sound system, so you know, proper like homemade PA rig that filled up half the half the steamboat. It was huge, massive, massive, far too large for the venue. And Ryan's act is a a little set of electronics that he's made, all cobbled together. And I've seen him trying to fix them just before a gig before. And what happens is it's got a photovoltaic cell. It's got you know, a photosensitive cell. And when it, a flash of light goes across this cell, it sets off the loudest like cannon noise you've ever heard. It's so abrupt and so violent. And it's triggered by this strobe light that's probably big enough to bring down commercial aircraft. So whenever he plays, the room's darkened. He fills it with normally acrid smoke. He didn't at the steamboat because they would have kicked him out. But it's dark and smoke, like unpleasantly smoky, not haze like you'd get in a venue, but actually like making your eyes water. And it starts off very slow with a strobe. So each time there's a flash, it's bang, bang, and it speeds up and speeds up. First time I saw him was in a room that had a capacity of about 15 people, and I had to go home. I, I was I was driving, so I wasn't drinking I, I couldn't, I had to go home. It was too much. It made me feel really ill. And somebody passed out and somebody else got a nosebleed. It really is the most challenging thing ever. But I thought if we're doing a list of, a list of performances that, that are exceptional, I'd still say it's an exceptional one. I've seen him do it a few times since. And now when he starts, I leave the room. I don't always stay because once you've experienced it the first time, you're never going to be that shocked again. So it's really hard to pick a bit of music but i'm just going to play it anyway and then we'll 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 decide whether it was worth playing because this really is all about the visuals and all about being there <laughs> I, <laughs> I picked a bit near the end of the set. I love the fact you hear someone go, yeah, fuck yeah. Um, but 
it's hard to pick out, but, but at that point, the strobe will be going so fast that the room is just white. And the noise is so invasive and so unpleasant. It, the only I always thought Sunday would be the heaviest, most troubling band I'd ever seen until I saw Ryan Jordan. There's just something about that. There's, I mean, again, it's interesting that neither of us picked Sun, uh, Sano because I think both of us have enjoyed seeing them live immensely. But, um, other, but, and they, I think there's an aspect where they sort of introduced a lot of some of the visual languages of the, the things we've been talking about. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say about that. Where's the chorus? <laughs> <laughs> I was interviewed on BBC with him once and, and interviewed by uh, somebody else who, is, who was in a band that was, that was quite famous. And I was asked about my, my music and I spouted a load of crap as I always do. And then Ryan was asked, how do you write music? And he said, it's not music. And the interviewer was like, what do you mean? He said, it's not music. I, I'm not, he was almost like, how dare you assume that I'm writing music? He, he wanted it to be as distanced from something that would be considered music as possible, which I think by itself I found really, really interesting. It's taking what, the what? avant-garde to the absolute extreme. I mean, what? His, yes, I, I guess, you know, what's the, the aim of it then? Just to be abrasive. See how far I can go. Abrasive. It's to... It's to he, to a certain extent, he's like it as a human as well. He he put on a noise gig in the upstairs of a, a Turkish restaurant here in Ipswich. <laughs> I mean, noise gigs are they can be pretty wild, and very 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 loud. And they got kicked out um, when one of the waiters came upstairs to ask what everyone wanted as a starter, and basically walked into a room with that kind of thing going on. <laughs> Just he he's, he's a character. He's yeah, I think scenes need him. If everyone was was uh, too predictable, everything would be very boring. But I thought it was it would be a, a good note to end on, or lack yes. of note. To be more precise. <laughs> okay, yeah, so, cool. how, so I wonder I, how you can notate that. Uh, it just you maybe you'll see it one day. I, I can't even begin to describe it, which is. Uh, makes it a bit of a moot thing really on a podcast <laughs> right i think we want to wrap it up there we've, we've just tipped over the hour mark so the next episode will be a live review which will be out in the next few days or if you're listening to this in the future it will be history is there anything you'd like to add sam oh i hope my sniffing hasn't interrupted too much very bunged up over here in finland no i haven't heard any sniffing at all right i can hear my door Oh, there we go. I can hear my daughter raiding the fridge, so I'm going to go figure out what that's about. Okay, thanks for listening, everyone. I'm going to say goodbye. Do you want to have the last word, Sam? You can't wave. They can't hear that. No, I don't want the last word. <laughs>